Hey everybody, my name is Tom. Thanks for joining us. We are continuing on in our Destination Next series, and that's kind of how I'm approaching everything these days. Not getting back to normal or whatever, but what's next? What's next? And as we think about what's next, we think about things that can seem daunting, right? Like the restrictions that were in place through the pandemic are being lifted. What am what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be? I got a book for you. When we think about just having a really hard week, I mean a really hard week, I got a book for you. You think about um, just being afraid even to, to speak because you might be canceled or censored or otherwise discredited or somebody you care about about might just stop liking you because you happen to disagree with them. I got a book for you. Or you could just be doing life, worried about paying the mortgage, marriage is struggling, kids are struggling, but I still got a book for you. This book has all the answers. It's literally the bestseller of all time. But I guess I should, um, I should probably warn you that it's not really a book, but 66 books. And it's written by 35 plus authors. And it was written over the course of somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 years. And the earliest books in this collection of books was written almost 3,000 years ago. Its writings have inspired incredible acts of selfless love. Its writings have also been misused and abused and, and used to um, manipulate people into horrific acts of violence and hatred. The book calls its readers to a countercultural life that looks to things bigger than self. And yet, many of its readers just kind of swim along, going with the flow and blend in with the culture around them. And if you, maybe you're new to church or new to, I'm, I'm talking about the Bible. And as we look to what's next, we should absolutely look to the Bible, first, last, in the middle, but the book is thousands of years old. How are we to engage with this book that's a thousand years old, written on the other side of the planet? How are we to engage this book that is so often misused and abused and mistaught in the, in the hands of people who use it to their own ends? How are we supposed to view this book whose, whose readers have become just that, just readers instead of doers. Well, in the past, when I've taught on the Bible, I've um, tried to use catchy phrases or little pithy statements to try to make it easier for us to get our minds around, you know, things like the Bible is God's love letter to you and me, or the Bible is a roadmap to life. Or a while ago, um, when I first started at Crossroads, there was an acronym, right? Um, basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's what Bible stands for. And while there's little bits of truth in each one of those, 
I think they're, they sell the Bible way short. They're, they're misleading, and um, they, just, they certainly don't paint the full picture. So what I want to do today is I want to offer you a different perspective on the Bible. Uh, hope, may, for many of you, it may be a different perspective. For many of you, it may just be, hopefully, a, a helpful reminder. But the perspective is this, is that engaging the Bible should point you to Jesus Christ, and engaging Jesus Christ should point you to the Bible. In other words, Jesus himself claims to be the central figure of the Bible. And if he is that, then we should look at the Bible the way he does. We should take his perspective on the Bible. At the very least, we should see what he has to say about it. And this would be my advice, my suggestion to someone who has been living with Jesus, trying to follow him for 50 years, or someone who finds themselves hostile to the Bible. And I want to share with you a quote that I found in a, um, a theology blog. The guy who writes this blog is a, a PhD student, and his name is uh, Derek. We're just going to call him Derek R. because I can't pronounce his last name. And this was a comment that was in his... Uh, Somebody, an atheist left a comment, and the, the whole thread was about a difficult um, passage in the Old Testament. So Derek responds to this commenter with, with this. As an atheist, though, I wouldn't trouble myself about the accounts in the Old Testament first. They matter, but what matters far more is whether the New Testament gospel accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection happened. If they did, and you decide the Bible is important, then it makes sense to muck about with these narratives. Until then, figuring out what you think about Jesus and so forth seems like a higher priority. Okay, just so to restate that and to be really clear, all of it, all of the Bible is important. But the best place to start is with Jesus. And so we're going to look at a passage of, of Scripture that's Jesus himself talking and because this book is so dynamic and there's so much in it, there's so many, there's, there's books of poetry, there's books of prose, there's books um, of, of narrative. It's important that we kind of do the, the legwork around each passage. So the book of Matthew is one of four biographies written about Jesus's life, particularly the three years around his public ministry. And it writes about Matthew, the author, one of Jesus' followers, his closest friends. Um, he writes roughly in this, this period of time where the Jewish people, God's chosen people, had not heard from God in almost 400 years. And Matthew begins, and the other gospels, some of them begin with um, the depiction of another man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist shows up, and he starts pointing back to the Old Testament and he's saying, please get ready because all those promises and predictions and prophecies, you're about to start seeing things that, in which they're going to be fulfilled. Please get ready. John and others saw the fulfillment of those things in the person of Jesus Christ. Many other people did not. So that's kind of how the book of Matthew fits into the story of the whole Bible. We're in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the beginning of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. That is arguably Jesus' most defining teaching. And 
he shows up and he, he points out to the people of Israel, again, God's chosen people, this people that God has pursued from the beginning and, and fits and starts, they have, the people have turned and walked with God and left them and turned and walked with God and left them. But God continues to pursue them. And now he takes the form of a man and pursues them in person through Jesus. And Jesus shows up and says, you guys have gotten way off track and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start trying to course, help us course correct. And it's going to be challenging and not everybody is going to be able to receive it. And in these words we're, we're about, to, about to read, Jesus goes out of his way to say, I am, I am not, I am not doing, I'm not discrediting, I'm not upending the apple cart of the Old Testament. I am here in fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am here because of the Old Testament. And he wanted to prepare his people for what was coming, the people he was teaching. So here we go. Chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. When Jesus uses that phrase, he's talking about the Old Testament as we know it, Genesis through Malachi. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so three things I think that Jesus really wants us to focus on as we're looking at this passage. Angelo, next slide, please. The first thing he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Again, so the, basically the Old Testament. <clears throat> what Jesus did when he was alive was he, he perfectly fulfilled every aspect of the law in terms of obedience. He perfectly fulfilled every aspect of the prophets and the law and Moses in terms of the, the prophecy. He fulfilled the prophecy. And he also perfectly interprets the law for people to understand. Right? So he has not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. And on more than one occasion, Jesus points out to people and to the religious leaders that they're missing the point, that they make, um, they're really studying the scriptures. This is John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, you study the scriptures diligently. So he commends them for their approach to the scriptures. But you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So they're kind of missing the, the forest for the trees. They're getting all bogged down in the scripture, and they're missing the whole point of the scripture, which is, which is Jesus. So I think we can, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit easier of a task to look at Jesus, to look at his life as recorded in the Gospels, and see the connecting points back to the Old Testament, to see specific prophecies that were fulfilled, to see the, the quotes that Jesus is taking from, from David and from Isaiah and from Moses. What's a, so Jesus fulfilled that, got that. It's a little bit harder to look forward into the New Testament that gets written after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. But what we see in the Gospels is Jesus kind of um, pre-authorizing, if you will, the human authors of the New Testament. He tells the apostles, he says, 
I'm not going to be able to say everything that you guys need to hear before my death and resurrection. But I'm going to send somebody else who's going to teach you everything that you need to know. And that is the spirit of truth. And you, you are going to be fully prepared to teach everybody else everything about me that needs to be taught. The other thing that he said is in Matthew chapter 10. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Jesus authorizes and fulfills the New Testament ahead of time in the, the people of the apostles as they go about their business. As a matter of fact, that's one of the, the tests. That was one of the tests that was applied to decide what could be included in the New Testament was, was the material written by an apostle or an associate of a, uh, an apostle of, of Jesus. So Jesus fulfills everything, authorizes everything in the, in the scriptures. Don't set aside the least of these commandments. Bottom line is Jesus thinks all of scripture is important. Yes, there are the rabbis called them lighter and weightier, um, weightier pieces of scripture. But Jesus compares scripture, the importance of scripture, to the importance of food to our bodies. He said in, in Matthew 4, 4, he said, for man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So think about that for a second, right? Have you ever gone 24 hours without food? Maybe 12 hours, maybe messed around a little intermittent fasting. Uh, depending on the day, if I go an hour without food, you don't want to be around me. And then if you think about physiologically, if we go extended periods of time without food, our body starts breaking down. It starts shutting down. It doesn't act the way it was designed to act. That's what Jesus says about Scripture and its importance to us. If we deprive ourselves of the nutrients that's found in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of it, then we are not going to be able to live the lives that God created us to live. Scripture is as important to us as food is for our well-being, our existence, our wholeness. Don't set aside the least of these commandments. All right, last, last point we want to make about the text here. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were religious leaders. These guys knew their stuff. Some of them had memorized the, the Old Testament. They, they, the scripture we read earlier, they diligently studied it, and Jesus recognized that. And they also were meticulous about observing the letter of the law, down to things like, you know, a tithe is giving 10% of whatever comes your way. They would tithe on their, their produce and their herbs. That's how serious they took the, the letter of the law. So Jesus' audience, and I'm thinking to myself, like, how, how are we supposed to compete with that? These guys are like professional God followers, I guess, for lack of a better term. <clears throat> what Jesus is suggesting is, like, he, he's, in a way, he's commending them for their approach, right? But he also comes at them pretty hard because they're, they're missing They've lost sight of God's intent and even to some regard God himself. The righteousness that Jesus is talking about is only available through Jesus. It's Jesus' righteousness. Jesus, like we said, fulfilled the law perfectly in his life, which enabled him to beat death 
and rise again. His righteousness is perfect, perfect obedience, perfect fulfillment of the scriptures. When you and I come to a point where we believe who Jesus is and we commit ourselves to following him, Jesus gives us his righteousness and he takes from us our sin. He gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin. We get to trade our sin, our brokenness, our shortcomings for Jesus's righteousness, for his wholeness, for his perfection. And as we grow in our experience and our understanding of that righteousness, we are transformed. We are transformed from people who, like the Pharisees, would um, sometimes grudgingly carry out religious observances. Right? We do uh, traditional religious things because we have to, to check off a box. We're transformed out of that into people who act and think and speak like Jesus would if he were in our place because we're changed from the inside out because Jesus' righteousness takes hold of us and reshapes us, transforms us from the inside out. Jesus is present in the pages of Scripture throughout from beginning to end. And he, um, we can see him fulfill in obedience, fulfill in prophecy, authorize the New Testament. And it's in him, it's in seeing him in the pages of Scripture, seeing the pages of Scripture point to him and vice versa, that we are called to. That's where we're headed. That's where this journey is taking us. And what I want to, I'm just going to, I'm going to close our time with um, hopefully some, some encouragement for you, some, maybe some practical helps, and just our engagement in the, in the Bible is, it's complicated, it's difficult, but it is so necessary, it's so important. So, practically speaking, um, I would commend to you things like Uversion. It's an app you can get on your phone. In Uversion, you can find things like a verse of the day. If you, if you have a hard time reading a lot, one verse a day, and you just spend the day, look at your phone a couple times a day, maybe memorize it, meditate on it, think about it. Uversion also has stories, like Instagram stories, but it's teachers talking about that verse of the day. They have reading plans you can participate in by yourself or with the group. It's a great resource. It's on your phone. You're on your phone every day anyway. It's a great, um, a great tool to have. Another great tool is Bible Gateway. And it's, if you want to get a little bit deeper, it has commentaries. There are scholars who spend hours and hours and lifetimes um, writing about the pages of Scripture so that we can understand it better. Great place to find study tools. And if you don't have a study Bible, I would encourage you to pick up a study Bible, either from an NIV or ESV translation. Um, it's the text of Scripture with some explanatory notes in the margins. It also has cross-references which help you connect the dots for Scripture in its entirety. So important as we, as we seek to see Jesus throughout the pages of Scripture that we can trace those. Um, they're not rabbit trails. That makes them sound trivial. The, the cross-references back to their origin and, and see how everything, everything fits together. I'm happy to talk more about, if you're looking for more tools, different tools, please talk to me, one of the elders, your group leader. So personally speaking, um, I wanted to just kind of 
share with you. As I was thinking about Jesus' take on Scripture and it being as important to us as food, I was kind of rolling that thought over in my head, and I began to see this pattern emerge in my life that as I, um, as I look at this pattern, I see God meeting my needs in my moment of need with a word from Scripture, with a verse, with a passage. And it really is amazing. I, started, I, I actually sat down and I made a list, and it got, it got pretty long. And as I looked at the list, I could, I'm terrible with dates, so I couldn't tell you specifically, but I knew exactly what was going on in my life that God was speaking into through those verses. And what was really cool is the majority of those verses came to me from a friend, from somebody else at Crossroads who loved me enough to... Um, those verses, they weren't in the midst of these like high-minded academic discussions. It was like me not on my best day, right? It was, it was me sharing with a friend, you know, I was struggling to see God's hand in what was happening. I was struggling to take God at, at his word. And these friends loved me enough to sit and to listen and to handle my struggles and my weaknesses with care. And they didn't drop scripture on me like it was some kind of trite, fix all here, take this, this will cure what ails you. But they listened and they, they, they thought, and not always even that, in that moment, maybe a day later, two days later, a text or a note would come, something would come with a scripture reference and it would be them redirecting me back to Jesus through the pages of scripture, redirecting me to scripture so that I could see Jesus, even in the most trying of, of circumstances. And of all those verses, there's one, I spent an entire summer a couple years ago meditating, reading Psalm 91. And there's one verse within Psalm 91 that encapsulates kind of the whole thing of what I'm trying to describe to you. It's 91.4. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It says this, it says, he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Look at that for a second, right? He will, his feathers, his wings, his faithfulness. What's the flip side of that, right? It's, it's our cover. It's our refuge. It's our shield. It's our rampart. This is all Jesus. This is about Jesus being the beginning and the end, the initiator and the completer. This is about Jesus being the nurturer and the ferocious protector. This is about Jesus being faithful even when I am not. All I need to do is to stay with him, to keep my eyes fixed on him, and to walk with him. We do see Jesus in the pages of Scripture from the beginning to the end. Jesus believed himself to be the fulfillment and the authority behind all Scripture, and he affirmed that belief in the signs and wonders that he performed throughout life. He affirmed that belief in his triumphant resurrection and his ascension into heaven. We can look at Jesus, and when we engage Jesus, we can be drawn to Scripture. And we can look at Scripture, and when we engage Scripture, we can be drawn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you did not um, just start this crazy thing spinning and just leave us to our own. Not only did you come and walk as one of us, God, but you, um, you, gave us, you gave us your word, 
which points back to you so that we might understand you, that we might know you, we might know ourselves. And that when we get turned around, we just we come back to that central premise that you are at the middle of that. It's one consistent story that points to you in the person of Jesus. Thank you so much. Father, when we get confused, we ask that you would just open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, and that we might see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, and that the pages of Scripture would reveal Jesus to us, and that we would be transformed from the inside out, God. And that's what would move us on to what's next, even in the most uncertain of times. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.